stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. It's a murder that people still talk about over 100 years later, one that some blamed on the most infamous serial killer we've ever known. A gruesome crime happened in the small town of Listowel in 1894 and has become part of local legend. On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we look at the murder of Jesse Keith and the time Jack the Ripper was thought to be in Ontario. Here's your host, Scott Kitching. In the fall of 1894, a homeless man strolled through the town of Listowel. He had never been seen in the area before. He was homeless and hungry, but the townsfolk were happy to give him some food and occasionally something to drink, for which he was grateful. So grateful, in fact, that he would then break into their houses and take new clothes for himself. But not clothes that would fit and not draw attention to himself. No, he took women's clothes and wore them. He strutted right through the center of town, and while wearing women's clothes at the time was already odd, the fact that he was extremely hairy with a muscular build brought on that extra bit of attention that would cement him into the minds of every person who saw him. This man was Amade Chattel, and during that fall in Listowel, he would commit one of the grisliest murders that Canada had ever seen. So it brings the question, who was this guy? How did he end up in Listowel? His life story, such as it was, would be told in a confession to a priest. This is John Goddard, author of the book, The Man with the Black Valise, a book about Amade Chattel and the murder of Jesse Keith. When Amade Chattel did tell his uh, life story to the priest, he did include uh, this totally loveless childhood that he endured uh, growing up in St. Hyacinth, Quebec. His father married three times. Chatel was the product of the second marriage, but his mother died when he was uh, something like four years old. He actually says in this telling that he doesn't even remember his mother's name. Uh, How sad is that? So his father married for the third time. She brought other kids into the marriage, and she was horrible to, you know, to Amade Chatel. And he kept running away from home. And finally, he left uh, permanently at the age of 13, which was Jesse's age when he killed her. So a very young age. And he he just kind of never went back. After leaving home at the age of 13, he stayed with family members in various places until he was old enough to work. He began taking jobs all over the place. And by all over the place, we mean all over the place. He didn't just wander through America and Canada. He found himself working in the Middle East, the Caribbean, England, and elsewhere. He was a multi-continent laborer, a rare breed considering that his modes of travel were walking and boat. After years of wandering around, he eventually found himself in Listowel, a peaceful community in northern Perth County. It was here that his path would cross with that of Jesse Keith, a 13-year-old girl who found herself in the wrong place at the worst possible time. Jessie Keith, she was a farm girl. Family lived just outside of Listowel, which is, I guess nowadays, about a half hour drive uh, north of Stratford. It was a small industrial town, village town. And she was 13. She used to go to, to into town, walk into town uh, on errands for her mother, pick up groceries, pick up the newspapers. And she would always take the railroad tracks because the Grand Trunk Railway went right by the front of their property. 
So the closest, most direct route to town was along the railway tracks. Everybody did this. It wasn't like some risky thing. So on a Friday around noon, she was coming back uh, with the newspapers and some um, pot barley, they called it. And she was almost home. And this man was approaching her from the opposite direction and just attacked her, bumped her on the head. And uh, she was kind of, I guess, woozy or something. He dragged her over the fence that separated the railway tracks from the fields, dragged her across the fields into what I call the swampy wood. She was fighting him off, fighting him off, and then he just killed her. So this was a horror. The killer didn't just kill her, but he, he mutilated her. And nobody, until that point in Canadian history, there hadn't been as horrific a murder anywhere in the country as the murder of this little girl. The murder was so horrific that news of it spread like wildfire. The murder made national news, being the shock that it was. And with the traveling news came the traveling speculation. And the conclusions that were jumped to were quite extreme. Everybody thought, oh, it must be Jack the Ripper on the loose. Jack the Ripper was the name, uh, sort of nickname, everybody gave to the killer in East London. Because it was the same sort of thing. It was not, not just a killing, but a um, mutilation. And he, this, that, that killer was never caught. And people speculated, I wonder if he came to Canada. But there was really not too much similarities uh, beyond the superficial ones. And it wasn't uh, him at all. It was uh, uh, Jack the Ripper was never caught or never identified even. At the time of Jesse Keith's murder, Jack the Ripper had been dormant in the UK for a number of years. People thought it was because he up and left and found a new community to prey upon. Naturally, many thought that community was listable. The case was taken extremely seriously in law enforcement, so seriously that Canada's most famous detective was brought in to work on the case. That man was the one and only John Wilson Murray. He is the model for the fictional TV detective, um, uh, uh, William Murdoch of Murdoch's Mysteries. So um, that's an interesting connection. And the real life uh, John Wilson Murray was uh, very clever. And he, he very quickly put together that there had been a stranger matching the physical description of the people of, of the person that uh, people were talking about and connected him to a break-in a house break-in in a place north of london ontario called uh, elsa craig and this uh, thief broke into the house and stole a small black suitcase called a black valise it was referred to as the black valise and my the name of my book is the man with the black valise and this is the reason so he, he broke into this house He needed a little bag to put some extra clothes in. He took it. And so when people were saying they saw this stranger, they always said, I saw the man with the black valise on Tuesday morning. He was passing by, you know, this kind of thing. So this became the prime clue was the black valise. Amade's string of robberies gave the investigators an immediate character portrait as to who they should be looking for. John Wilson Murray he wrote out a timeline. He, he interviewed all these people in the area 
And, uh, you know, when did you see the man with the black valise? And when was that? And uh, where was it? And, uh, and he wrote out a timeline. You know, he was seen here at this time on this day. And, um, and then he mapped it out from Elsa Craig, where the black valise break-in took place, to Cataract, where he was arrested. Amade was eventually captured 75 miles away from Listowel, bringing to an end the pursuit that had grown multiple counties wide. He was sent back to Listowel for identification to make sure they got the right guy, which they clearly had. But when he was brought back, he received a reception that no one would have thought possible. He was a kind of sympathetic character, as monstrous as he was. When people met him and he asked for a handout, they would, um, they, would, they, would, they would sometimes invite him in for lunch and treat him very well. Uh, so he was, uh, this was before the murder or before anybody knew about that. But even after he was caught and captured and brought to the um, village of Listowel to be identified by people who thought they saw this stranger, right away people were, they, they expected a monster, some, you know, some, some, some evil, inhuman being. And when they saw him kind of looking a bit hangdog and shy and speaking in a quiet voice, they, they thought, oh, it, it can't be him. This is, a, this is a human being, kind of a sympathetic one. And they uh, actually took up a collection for him and were ready to let him go. And the police said, no, 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 no. Uh, we know more than you do, and we're going to keep him in jail. It was a good thing the police didn't buy Amade's stage-ready performance, because if he could do something that gruesome to Jesse Keith, what would have stopped him as he wandered through the next town? He was held in custody while John Wilson Murray worked through his investigation. Murray was thorough and persistent, piling up a good amount of evidence for the court. He even gained a confession, which would be the nail in the coffin for Amade. When the trial had finished, the jury needed just 10 minutes to deliberate. The verdict? Guilty of murder. He was sentenced to hang. Amade Chatel was hanged in the prison yard. It was not a public hanging. That had been, they, had, they had disappeared in Canada by 1894, and there were high walls around the prison yard. People gathered. They were hoping to catch a glimpse of something or just to be there in the area when this big event was happening. That, I, that was part of it. There were a few people invited inside the walls. Jesse's father was there. There were some reporters, and there were some mayors of other towns who remember this was as you mentioned the uh, the first hanging in Perth County so some municipal officials from around the county they wanted to see how this was done in, in case it ever happened uh, in their place. With the hanging set to happen in the jail yard that meant that Amade would have to listen to the construction of the very instrument that would facilitate his end. He had to listen to every board being placed every hammer strike as the gallows were being built. It's hard to know for sure how he would have felt, but knowing that every bang he heard was bringing him that much closer to his demise could not have been enjoyable. After the hangman's rope snapped his neck, he was buried on site. His body stayed under the ground there until years later when the jail yard was excavated. He was then moved to a different gravesite in town. While the townsfolk put Amade behind them, they came together to make sure that Jesse Keith would always be recognized and remembered in the town of Listowel. People put their pennies together. Uh, remember, this is 1894, and people weren't, uh, didn't have a lot of uh, disposable uh, income. 
They pooled their money and bought a block of marble from the world's top quarry of uh, statue marble in the world, in Carrera in northern Italy. It's where Michelangelo used to get his uh, stone. And uh, they hired, a, they commissioned a, an Italian sculptor to carve the goddess, the, the Roman goddess of flowers and uh, springtime. And he scaled it to the size of a 14-year-old girl, 13-year-old girl. And they shipped it to Listol and put it at her grave and had this uh, enormous ceremony to dedicate the statue. The monument still stands today, more than 100 years after it was created. A tribute to Jesse's short but meaningful life. And it says a lot about the young woman to have an entire town come together to fund a monument. But there are still some loose ends in the story that make you wonder. Not so much about Jesse Keith and what happened that fateful day, but about Amade Chattel. Jesse Keith was the only murder that he was ever tied to. But he was 50 years old at the time. He'd lived a long life up until that point. And it makes you wonder what he could have been capable of in the years prior. If he was comfortable enough to attack a girl in the middle of the day, in broad daylight, in a town that he'd never been to, it's not a stretch to think he might have done something of the sort before. And with cooperation among law enforcement agencies not nearly what it is today, if you weren't caught red-handed and you managed to get away from where your crime was committed, the odds were good that you were going to get away with it. And Amade moved around a lot, stretching to different countries. So what other crimes might he have committed that were never attributed to him? But the story doesn't end there. Years after the community got over its grief about the murder of Jesse Keith, she became part of, shall we say, paranormal legend. It's been said that her ghost lives in the local cinema, which doesn't actually have a factual connection to the case. So uh, there was a funeral home that's now a cinema. Jesse was never taken there. Um, the, uh, there was a search done. Her body was found in the swampy wood. The search party waited until that night when the officials from Stratford were able to take the train to the spot. There was the sheriff, there was the prosecutor, there was the coroner, uh, a couple of other people. The press came and at that point, and it was getting, you know, pretty towards midnight by that time, they took the body on a stretcher to the Jesse Keys family home. And it was laid out, the body was laid out in the parlor. And a post-mortem was done on the spot, uh, lasted most of the night. And then, so that was Friday night. And Sunday was the burial. And on Sunday morning, so the body was kept in the home. Sunday morning, um, the body was put on display for people, uh, you know, a viewing. It wasn't done indoors. It was done out in the yard, uh, in the farmyard. Uh, so she was laid out, uh, I guess, in a casket, uh, I've forgotten that detail. And people lined up and uh, for, for the viewing. And then from there, uh, the, you know, every, the, the funeral, funeral carriage came and the casket was uh, put on the carriage and taken. There was a huge, huge, hundreds of carriages and carts and wagons. Uh, all the way to Listall uh, Cemetery. So that uh, so-called funeral home cinema 
does not, does not figure in the story at all. So that's totally made up. There are even stories that surround the monument itself, passed on through generations of children. For a long time, there was a uh, story that they told that the statue at the graveyard, the statue of the Roman goddess of flowers, used to have ruby eyes. And if you cl look closely into the ruby eyes, you could see uh, Jesse being killed by the man with the black valise, uh, you know, sort of like a film reel. And that was told, uh, girls told each other that story for decades. While the ghost stories are made up, the tragedy was not. It's impossible to overstate the tragedy of a child's death, let alone in the horrific way that Jesse Keith died. And that's why hers is a name that deserves to be remembered and respected, with the monument commemorating her as long as it stands. Stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. This episode of the 519 Podcast was hosted by Scott Kitching. It was written and produced by Patrick Magamans. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.